Before we start, I'd like to thank our sponsor, NPR. NPR is not your typical media partner. From NPR News Now on smart speakers to How I Built This Live on stage, NPR is where audiences turn for non-commercial, unbiased journalism. Stay tuned and find out how NPR sponsorship drives impact for brands. Beyond the sexy names in digital publishing, there are a small but growing number of media companies that are profitable. One is Industry Dive, which has a portfolio of industry-focused publications devoted to big money but unsexy areas like waste management. Now, over 100 people and with no venture funding, Industry Dive is good proof that the sky is not falling for all media. I'm Brian Marcy, and this is the Digiday Podcast. On today's episode, I speak to Sean Griffey, co-founder and CEO of Industry Dive. We discuss the reasons why the ad model is working for Industry Dive, how to stretch brands across several industries, and how Industry Dive makes measured bets to pay off later. Hope you enjoy it. Sean, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Okay, so for people who do not know Industry Dive, give us the story. Sure. We're a, a online-only B2B media company uh, based out of DC. We cover very niche markets in uh, with a number of different publications. So we have publications uh, ranging from the retail space to solid waste and recycling to electric utility and everywhere in between. Mostly email. Mo- well, e- email is a primary driver. I think in media today, it's the most powerful tool. And for a business like ours, it uh, gets the most results. But we have apps, we have websites, you, you name it, digital products all over. Okay. And six years old? Uh, six and a half. What, uh, take us back, like, why did, like, what was the, what did you see that was the opportunity when starting it? Well, I, I think there's a couple things that go into the thesis of it. The first one is uh, we really believed uh, in ad markets, uh, and I still believe in the advertising model, which is part of what makes me a contrarian, uh, as we've talked about. But but what we saw was that uh, audiences are being commoditized, uh, and when they become a commodity, uh, the ad market breaks down. Um, but so so if you believe in the model and you're good at it, what you need to do is find areas where the audiences aren't commoditized. And that is often in very niche, uh, very vertical uh, industries. And so we launched it with that as a, a big part of the thesis uh, of how do we get into a market? We pick, uh, we pick, we have a, a lot of criteria for how we pick them, but we find these very niche but valuable audiences. And to get a media company to grow then at scale is you have to do it in a repeatable way. And so we set up the company to not just own a single market, but be able to apply the infrastructure and the learnings and technology across all of them. So what markets did you start in? Uh, we launched with five, uh, which was both a blessing and a bit of a curse because it's hard to, uh, when you're three guys in a, a room, it's hard to really uh, focus on five industries. But we had a construction, publication, electric utility, uh, solid waste and recycling, marketing, and education. Okay. So outside of the solid waste and recycling, these, these are not sexy markets. <laughs> Solid waste recycling is my favorite. And, uh, That's the sexiest one. It, it definitely. But what did you say? I mean, this is because I, I find this, this interesting because, I mean, you can get high CPMs for solid waste and recycling because there's not a lot of competition out there. And if you're in that sector, you can do things that Google and Facebook can't. 
De- definitely, but we actually don't really talk about CPMs very much. We don't uh, we don't sell on uh, impressions. We sell sponsorships uh, within it. Um, our advertisers tend to be marketers uh, within those you know within companies in those industries, and uh, primarily they're looking for leads at the end of the day. So we're evaluated um, on how we help them have deep conversations with their their targets and executives in those industries. Right, but those are leads that you that you can more efficiently. Uh, provide them with than Google or Facebook. Definitely. And conceptually provide them with that, right? Right. So, uh, you know, it, it's one of those things that the our marketers know that their targets read us because their company reads us, their executives read us. Um, they see us at the trade shows. Uh, when something breaks in the industry, people come and talk to us. Mm-hmm. And now how many um, how many different verticals are you in? Uh, we've just about to launch our 16th, so we have a restaurant publication coming out uh, in mid-October. Okay. Rafat Ali was just on this podcast. Does he know about this? He, he does. He okay. does. <laughs> um, so how many people now is in a shootout? Uh, just crossed over 115 people. 115? Yep. We'll okay. do uh, about $22 million in revenue this year. I assume uh, you're profitable. We are about 25% EBITDA margins. Okay. This is, it's funny because there's so many people that come on this podcast who do not have, who are not profitable and are talking about, you know, now we're, we're going to go for profitability. Um, yep. But you guys don't have a lot of venture capital backing. And so- We, it, have, we have none. Right. So we, uh, we raised a couple hundred thousand of angel investing uh, mm-hmm. early on. Um, over lunch one day, I, you know, I went to a lo- out, out to lunch with a local uh, angel that uh, I knew might be interested in, in doing what we're doing, and he had seen uh, our team work in in prior incarnations. And uh, first lunch I had, and at the end of it, he asked me how much money do we need, and I didn't have a plan at the time. I didn't have a number in my mind, and I just said to myself, "How much can I ask for that he's is going to be enough for us to go, but it's not going to scare him off?" And so I I blurted out, you know, uh, number which was uh, you know a little less than five hundred thousand, and we were off running. Okay, um, and so what were the ad- what would have been the advantages of not having that venture capital? I mean, I know this from our own experience because we, we never raised outside capital, so um, there are a lot of advantages. But I'm interested to hear what what you have found to be the advantages. Well, I, I, I will say this. I mean, I, I think there was a time when we thought. Uh, outside capital and, and venture would have been the way to go. Um, we just were cognizant that we wouldn't wouldn't be able to raise it um, because you know th- there's not a whole lot of venture capitalists that get excited about ad supported business in the waste and recycling industry. Okay, um, and so we, we we were you know it's not not something that people want to you know uh, hang their hats on. Makes the choice easy. It makes the choice easy. But I think for us, but um, I mean just operationally operating the business. Um, I mean, in six years, that's that's really nice growth for a media business, particularly without injections of of, of outside capital. Yeah, um, it it does give you discipline, right? Um, we were very focused on uh, making sure the things we do were valuable, making sure the audiences that we were spending time trying to attract were valuable. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say that when we launch a publication, it makes money from the start. They, they don't. It takes a little bit to build an audience and loyalty before you can truly monetize them at, at scale. Um, 
but for us not having the capital and not having not not believing that there was a access to capital uh made us say okay we when we make bets let's be sure of what we're doing um and let's be sure we know how to monetize them mm-hmm. and and then it gives you a, a little bit of scrappiness there's there's things that we didn't know were going to be uh important to us that were uh at the time such as you know early on uh we we found LinkedIn groups as this pocket that was underutilized in uh, by media companies as a way to attract audiences. And um, we have a you know now a, a very large number of groups that we use to every time someone joined the group, they've got a, a message saying, "Why don't you subscribe to you know the Industry Dive uh, publication there." Um, you know, we could send message promoting our our own stuff. So we do lead gen campaigns or brand studio campaigns for webinars or surveys or downloads. The groups were great tools for that. And they just, it was a place that no one else was using. And so we were able to go in and, and really boost uh, our growth. Now, mm-hmm. now that's changed. LinkedIn's, you know, de-emphasized groups and they've taken away the ability to moderate them or do the rest. So the, you know, the LinkedIn rides over, which is why I'm willing to talk about it on a podcast. Uh, I would have said that uh, three, four <laughs> I was years just ago. thinking in my head to go back and like tell people, what, LinkedIn yeah. groups. No. We it's... actually have a very large LinkedIn group. Yeah. Um, but I'm not sure what's going on in there. No, I, I think they... Um, LinkedIn's one of the things I, as a B2B publisher, I bang my head on when I, I, I look at them. They, they could be the best B2B publisher in the world, but I think they're trying to be Forbes or Fortune or something else instead. Interesting. You know? We'll be back after this quick break. NPR listeners expect an authentic, unintrusive message from brands. It may be different, but it works. Listeners find NPR 21% more engaging than traditional radio content. To learn more about how sponsorship opportunities across NPR platforms can perform for your brand, visit npr.org slash four brands. Now back to the episode. So how do you keep consistency across all of these different verticals? Because, I mean, it's, it's hard enough like when you're just like focused on one specific vertical, but when you're going from retail to waste management, yep. um, I mean, it's a wide portfolio. It's it's difficult. Um, it, it, well, it's it's difficult and easy in some spots. So, from a business standpoint and a sales standpoint, it, it's actually pretty easy, and it makes it makes it great in that we can train all of our sales reps. Uh, here's our here's our product set, and it's the same across the whole portfolio, right? And you have a client base, and if they today want to buy in retail, that's great. And if they want to buy in food tomorrow, you can sell them in food. And if they want to go in biopharma, you know, the next week, you can sell them that too. And the products are going to be the same, the brands are going to be the same, and their experiences are going to be the same. The teams that serve them at the ends are going to be the same. So that's really easy, and that's a, an advantage for us compared to uh, some uh, some publishers that have, uh, products in multi markets, they're just almost individual companies, right? So one magazine is different than the website or whatever. We're consistent where, where it gets harder is editorial. Right. Um, and, uh, that's different. And I, I would say, you know, we have publications, um, that are leaders in their spaces and other ones that still, we still need to work on it and get better. I think for us, you know, an edit, the editorial model, though, that we've really honed in on and, uh, you know, our editor-in-chief, uh, Davide Savignier, and, and folks really look at is we we tend to look— So there's one editorial team. 
across like retail waste management well we have a marketing. we have an editorial leader yeah. and then we have uh managing editors that have a portfolio underneath them it, it, down at the level uh you know the reporters and associate editors will write for one publication mm-hmm. um but o- overall the, the team does roll up to a single person um and and his job is to set direction for them uh you know quality what i was about to say we we focus on uh industries that are going under undergoing transformation mm-hmm. and so for us in b2b it's to have a thesis of what that transformation is um that is impacting the industry and then to own stories around it mm-hmm. right so if it's in higher education it could be online learning and how that changes accreditation how it changes university and uh the energy space it's distributed solar and the different you know everyone can be a energy producer now mm-hmm. and what does that mean to the utility companies etc um and so if, if we can nail those high trends uh, and then own the stories around it, the publications mm-hmm. really take off. If we're kind of a little more scattershot in our coverage, um, we kind of feel scattershot with the audience. And does the model depend on like keeping the teams really efficient? I mean, some of these some of these areas f- seem kind of narrow, but maybe not. I mean, the waste management industry, is, there's a lot of waste out there, so it's probably <laughs> a very l- large industry. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, our industries are all pretty big. Uh, if you stop and, and think of it. But in terms of the, the teams being efficient, you know, we, um, being being the, you know, semi-bootstrapped company, mostly bootstrapped company, we've been in, efficient in how we've grown. So it's a walk before we run. So I, I'm, I'm always jealous of, say, Quartz. You know, the Atlantic will throw $30 million at it. It's either going to be a fantastic success yeah. or it'll be like, Condé Nast's portfolio, right? Which was we threw a lot of money at it and it went away. It was not portfolio. Years. It was it, it 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 was a success. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm just saying there's a there's a there's a uh, go right. big or go home kind of thing, right? No, I know. And I mean, actually, right before um, right before you yesterday, I recorded a podcast with Justin Smith from Bloomberg. Um, mm, very smart and, guy. Yes, and and Justin is who actually really loves this world because he founded. Breaking, uh, breaking media with John Learners uh, above the law um, and, and other publications, but at Bloomberg, I mean the massive bets. Like you know, when they're like making a bet, it's it's not like it's okay. Let's start a rival to Davos. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be nice. So when we make a bet, it's let's hire one associate right. editor and some good freelancers. These are bets I understand, yeah. Lord. <laughs> and that's that's what we do. We're like, okay, we're going to launch a publication. We can hire two people right. for that publication. And then as the audience grows, we'll we'll hire a third. And then the audience grows more for I mean, that is the downside. And I was trying to lead you into that, actually. Not <laughs> well, because I kind of know this. Uh, you know, the downside is it gets, uh, of the bootstrapping thing, is, is it gets frustrating because there can be big opportunities that you really can't, you can't make as big of a bet as you probably would want to, to some degree. Yep. I mean, you know, I, I feel for with our team, um, I by nature have a clear, clear idea of where we're going and what I think growing uh, a bootstrapped B two B niche media publication should be. Um, but we have big ambitions, and we we put that on the team, and then they want to make big bets, mm-hmm. and so they come to us and say, "Hey, how about we launch this video uh, series, or we'll do an in-depth podcast and the rest?" And I said, "That's great. There's there's three of you, 
you know, on this whole this whole publication right mm-hmm. now. Um, we don't have a lot of advertisers asking for video or pre-roll or whatever. Like, why, why don't we wait until we do before we do this? And so um, it's I think it's a drain on some of the folks here that we can't make those bets. But we, we'd be irresponsible if we did, right? Right. So that's, Sometimes you that's the game. Now. Yep. Sometimes. Now. So you're 100% advertising revenue? Pretty much. I mean, uh, at the end of the day, marketers pay for almost everything we do, right? Yeah. Um, but when we say advertising- you It know, can be lead gen, it can be webinars and stuff exactly. like this. Exactly. And we it's, do that. Yep. It's, it comes out of sponsorship advertising dollars. A- exactly. Pretty but much. you're not, like, explain, because everyone- I mean, I have a, a lot of different people who come on the podcast, but many of them uh, have models that were overly dependent in their view on advertising, and now they're scrambling to diversify, whether that's spinning up big festivals or whether that is having commerce where they're moving products. And, and most of these are B2C models, right? Yep. Um, or obviously direct subscriptions. Um, explain how you view diversification and why you haven't gone that route at least yet. Well, I, I think it, I think all of those decisions make sense for a lot of publications, um, particularly if you're in one market or you're B two C and you have, you know, twenty million uh, people that come to your site every uh, you know every month, and that that's not incredibly large or small. You're you're in that middle gap that people uh, find troubling. For for us, um, I think there's there's you know. A couple things that drive it. One, we're really good at the lead generation. You know, my, my mm-hmm. partners and founders, like we, we can monetize niche audiences and we know how to talk about it. We know how to add value. We know how to deliver for clients. And, um, so we stick, you know, we stick with what we know. Um, we think each of our verticals could be five to 10 million just in digital advertising alone before we do the rest. Um, and so we, we still have, we still have room to grow in all of our markets just on the digital products. And so, for us, it's so you're not down on advertising. I'm I'm not. I'm I'm. Uh, every time someone tells me, you know, I, I was with a, talking to a CEO of another company and and mm-hmm. uh, that we compete with in the energy space, and it's a great product. Um, he's a good one, and he said at one point, "I'm considering getting out of advertising completely," and I'm 100. percent You should do that. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> great I, idea. I definitely, definitely think you should do that. But um, you know, if you have m- marketers are greedy. Um, and they may be able to say, you know, IBM will say we, we've got, you know, a hundred and hundred percent of all IT decision makers in our database already. But if you say, actually, no, I've got a thousand more, they, they want that thousand. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if you really can reach, uh, a niche audience in a credible way, um, and have real interactions with them, the, the marketers want to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. I want to take a quick break here to make sure you are not missing out on all of the great perks that you get as a Digiday Plus member. With Digiday Plus, you get access to exclusive content. Each day we have pieces that are available only to members, along with exclusive research on industry trends and also invites to our member events. We just did a live podcast the other week with Jim Egan, the CEO of BBC News. So check out Digiday Plus. Visit digiday.com and you will see the plus tab in the menu bar. Hit that. Digiday Plus membership is $395 a year, but if you use podcast at checkout, you will get 20% off. I promise you it's worth it. Now back to the episode. So, I mean, the key there is niche. Yep. So you don't run away from the niche because some people hear niche, they think, oh, well, it's small. Yep. 
No, I, I love small and I love unsexy. <laughs> you know, that's uh, there's a reason why waste was in the beginning. I, yeah. I love it. Um, okay, so when I guess when you get to to some point uh, of the five to ten million in a lot of these sectors, then you'll think about: Do we start like? Because I can imagine you could have like a centralized, um, say, events uh, group yep. that could do a lot of events in these different areas. Yeah, I, I think. Um it's on the roadmap. Uh, I think paid research is something that I'm actually even more uh, excited about or interested in and going in at some point because mm-hmm. um, I, I think it better fits a little bit with what we're good at and, and what we like to do. But I, I think there's a time that we'll do that. And, I, and when we feel like we've tapped out the, the a market, then we'll, we'll think about it. But, it. but it also comes with a cost of distraction, which is a real part of it, right? A, a doing a big event, uh, you know, it's a for a month or two before everyone mm-hmm. in the company starts talking about that event, focusing on the event and everything's around that event. And when you have so much open, you know, ground in front of you, I just don't want to start looking to the side and seeing what's out there. Like, let's just keep chasing the good one. What are models? I know you're, you're focused fully on your business. So when I, when I ask these questions, I understand that people, um, it's hard for them to answer, but what are models outside of what you're doing that you in media that you find, um, particularly attractive? Other media companies yeah. within media. Um, so I'm a, a huge fan of other niche publishers. Um, I'm a fan of people who execute really well. Uh, I think, you know, I, I know Skift is one that, uh, we watch all the time and we talk about, uh, Rafit was on here the other day. I am, I, I find that, they uh, they do events really well. They do editorial really well, um, and so I'm always trying to uh, learn from them. Green Tech Media is in the utility space, and I think they've they they built a very uh, impressive research organization. I love them. Um, the Gov Exec Group that Atlantic Media owns uh, is mm-hmm. one that I I follow, and and they've done uh, they've done some great things uh, in terms of serving serving their advertisers. They they they've monetized you know learnings of their audit uh, their audience. So uh, was talking uh, yesterday uh, with them, and they actually um, will sell sort of insights on what their audience are doing on a quarterly basis, or do research for them for hmm. people. Uh, and and their advertisers are really interested in okay, what what what's our target doing this month or care about this month? And I think that's just a really interesting way to kind of flip it on its head. Yeah. How do you how do you view subscriptions? I mean, outside of research, that's uh, it sounds like you're looking more towards that versus, you know, putting up a paywall, whether that's a meter for any of your properties? Well, I think, I think subscriptions, um, I'm interested, uh, in them. And I think, you know, for research, that's, I think that'd be the first way to go. Just like you guys do Digiday Plus. Um, Thank you which for the I, plug. Thank you for the plug. Yeah. I, I, I recently subscribed, you know, so you I, know, I, I saw that you used the, the Rafat, uh, of course, um, <laughs> discount code. Yeah. I, I debated, do I use your podcast one or the, well, there's uh, going to be a Sean, all of you listening. If you do subscribe, you can have a Sean discount code for 20% off. S E A N. S E A N. Yep, there you go. <laughs> All right. Let's hope that drives some revenue for you. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you know. I let Rafat know that he drove too. <laughs> I mean, media, man. It's 
It's a game of inches. It, it is a game of inches, <laughs> right? Um, I love that you you get an email every time one comes in. I don't. I actually asked uh, our uh, a member of our Digital Plus team to let me know about the uh, conversion on that. Tweet. Got it. So <laughs> I, you know, I think that's. I was one like, I, the... I told her, I said, I don't know if this is a very scalable strategy. <laughs> <laughs> I why not? Yeah. So uh, what is speaking of that? What what are your like lessons? You know, six years in. Um, you know, you guys have executed like great. I mean, that's like really impressive with no, with, you know, no venture capital, you know, to grow, uh, uh, a business to that size with those, with those, uh, margins is, is pretty good. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think for us, it's the discipline of it all. You know, I think there's, um, and, and there's a balance, there's a discipline while, trying to flail around a little bit, particularly in the early days, right? Um, it was funny, I asked about, you know, do you get an email every time things come in? Like, I, I got notifications every time someone subscribed in the early days, and yeah. I would individually- Oh, Nick, our CEO, e- still yeah. gets, he still gets a the email of every single credit card transaction that is run um, for Digiday Plus or for buying tickets or anything like this. I think he just loves to see the, the <laughs> they're still coming in. Me too. Um, <laughs> I, I do every time credit card gets run. Uh, <laughs> oh, you get it too? I do too. But And I, for the longest time, I would... The secrets uh, of founders. I would email every every person, every email when you subscribed, and this is for a free email newsletter, uh, you'd get after a week or two a, mm-hmm. a message from me, and I would hand respond to every single person that yeah. responded to that email. Um, and But now we're adding six, 7,000 subscribers a week, uh, and I just couldn't do it anymore. And, and there's a part of me yeah. that really misses the days when I could email every single subscriber that took a time to reach out to us. Well, that's a cliche that is true with all this, like is you have to do things that don't scale. Yep. Um, and I think usually it's used for the, the sort of the hashtag startup, you know, yep. world, but like, it's really just a reality of like small businesses. Like the only way a small business like catches momentum is to do an incredible amount of things that do not scale. Yep. That's the only way people notice. Right? Um, but then you have to develop like the systems that allow it to scale somewhat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're working on it. Any big mistakes, things that you regret over um, past six years? I don't. Something I, you got wrong. Well, I I do think you know our our when when we look at the criteria where we picked markets. Um, one of the things that I didn't realize was, was was important to us is the amount of technology spend. That that's a real indicator for us in whether a market's going to be frothy or not. Um, so the construction space, we we really struggled with our construction pub for a number of years until we turned it on to no. This is about construction technology. This is about the software that's driving you know approvals and blueprints and construction docs and the rest. And then the publication kind of flourished and took off among advertisers. Um, we picked some of these industries and thought, okay, in the waste industry, you know, there's a lot of capital spend there. Um, people just don't sell garbage trucks online. You know, but but they they sell software online and the rest. And so I, I think had we been sharper about that uh, on year one or year two, we, we could have grown even faster sooner. Right. Okay. Sean, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you all for listening. This show is produced by Aditi Songal. Tell us what you think. Tweet at me. I'm at B. Morrissey. Or email me. I'm 
bmorrissey at digiday.com and uh, let me know your feedback. And please head over to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get this podcast and give us a rating and leave a review. It helps this podcast be discovered, or so I'm told. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week with a new episode. Thank you.